this podcast from Jubilee Church Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. to get back to your seats. Uh, Graham asked me to uh, just let you guys know what's going on in Burton. So those of you who don't know, we, learn, we lead uh, Burton Family Church. Uh, we started meeting on a Sunday in January, so seven months now. Church plants, you have good weeks and bad weeks. Um, last week was a good week because when you're church planting, numbers is a very important part of what you're doing. And uh, we had about 30 people there last week, which was fantastic. So God was good. Uh, this week is now summer holidays, so <laughs> we'll see what happens, but hey, it's good. Um, if you're praying for us, please do pray for buildings. The building at the moment is the stumbling block for us. We're in a very nice little building. Um, they give it to us free of charge, um, and it's slap bang in the middle of where we want to be, but it will only hold about 40 people, so there's no wiggle room. Um, we're talking to local schools, um, and... Uh, it got that desperate. Uh, John's gone in with, a, with an old-fashioned letter. So we've used the post office and the postman. We've sent them a letter, uh, hoping that they will appreciate the time and the effort we've spent on that. So uh, do pray for us. We're looking for buildings. Um, uh, but we are seeing answers to prayer. Uh, one of the things God spoke to us about when we first started was being a place of restoration. Um, and we've got two couples coming along now who... Uh, haven't spoken to each other very much for about 20 years. Um, and they're now there together in the same meeting, talking. Uh, it's, it's been a family, a family thing going on, but God is restoring relationships, which is good stuff. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you for lending us Graham every now and again. Uh, and Adam last week to lead us in worship. What was it last week? The week before? We had a week on it does. Time flies when you're having fun, doesn't it? Uh, so thank you for letting those guys. And you're all welcome. If any of you want to come along, um, we're there 10, 15 on Sunday morning. You will get a warm welcome and a fresh cup of coffee um, at 10, 15. Fantastic. Right, I suppose I'd best uh, get on with this, wouldn't we? Right. Graham gave me free reign this morning. Oh, man. Um, so uh, I thought we'd talk about contentment. Contentment versus covetousness. Because in, in, in Bern, uh, we've been going through a little mini-series about the choices we make. We've got lots of choices we make, some of them on a daily basis. So uh, our mini-series uh, entails things like the choice for determination or faint-heartedness, boldness or fearfulness, endurance or giving up. These are all choices we make. The choice to be patient or the choice to be restless. So this morning we're looking at, we have a choice. The choice to follow the path of contentment or to go down our natural path, which is covetousness. Because we have a choice. We have a choice we, to seek contentment or to slip into covetousness. Philippians 4.11, Paul says he learned to be content. It didn't just happen to him overnight. He had to learn. Because contentment is worked into our lives. It's worked in by the choices we make, by the things we choose to believe, and by the situations we overcome. Just like yeast is worked into a dough through kneading and through hard work, 
So contentment comes through wrestling with life on a daily basis. Because it's not just a pretty decoration sprinkled on the top. It has to be worked into our life. And we don't get contentment without going through the hardships of life. So the world would say contentment is a state of happiness and satisfaction. But this morning I want to suggest to you that contentment is more than just happiness and satisfaction. Because happiness and satisfaction are feelings. And I don't know about your feelings, but my feelings go up and down, up and down, depending on the type of day, depending on how hot it was, how cool it was, anything like that. So lots of things affect the way you feel. Contentment is not like that. Contentment doesn't go up and down. It is a steady platform we build our life upon. So true contentment is an underlying security in an acceptance of who and where you are and who God is. True contentment is an underlying security in an acceptance of and who of who and where you are and who God is. And I believe to find true contentment, we need to get God's promises past our thoughts and our feelings and right into our hearts, right into the core of our being. But before we look at contentment, let's just quickly touch on covetousness, shall we? Because it is an either-or. Covetousness is described as inordinately or wrongly desirous of wealth or possession. For me, it's just selfishness. It's all about me. Desiring wealth, desiring possession is all about what can I get? What's in this for me? How can I get it? What can I get? How can I get more of it? Because we're all by nature selfish. Living for ourselves. It is unfortunately our default setting. Because of sin, it is our default setting to live for ourselves. And it's where we fall to one degree or another if we don't fight against it. It shouldn't be a surprise to us. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says this, And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. For their sake, for him who for their sake died and was raised. We all live for ourselves to one degree or another. It is our default setting, but it is our old self, our old creation. To live as a new creation is to put self down and to become content. 2 Timothy 3, 2 to 4 says, For all people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpeaceable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now I wonder, do you look around the world and recognize any of those in the world today? Maybe you recognize some of them in your own life, and if I'm honest... I have to fight against quite a lot of those things on a daily basis. Selfish thoughts. That is a constant battle, isn't it? For me it is, anyway. maybe not for you guys. Maybe Graham's been teaching you well and selfish thoughts don't come into it because he's hammered them out of you and you're giving people. But if I'm honest with myself, I fall into thinking, what's in this for me? Or what am I going to get out of this situation? 
or this isn't meeting my needs, so obviously it needs to change. So how about you? Where are you on your selfish scale at the moment? As I said, it will probably depend on how life is going right now, on how you perceive life to be going. If my life is going well, I find it easier to think of others, and I tend not to slip into that me mindset. But the problem with selfishness is that it doesn't take any effort. We don't have to change the way we think to become selfish. It is the way we are. It's the easy option because it's in all of us. But I believe finding contentment is the antidote. So how do we find contentment? I want to suggest, again, to find contentment, we need to get God's promises past our thoughts and our feelings into our hearts. God's promises from skin deep, just decoration, into our heart, the substance of who we are. So what do we mean by the heart? Well, for that, I turn to my old friend, Tim Keller. I like what he says about this, so I will repeat it to you. Tim Keller says this, The heart is used as a metaphor for the seat of our most basic orientation, our deepest commitments. What we trust the most... It is what we most love and hope in, what we most treasure, what captures our imagination. Every heart has an inclination, something it is directed toward. The direction of the heart then controls everything, our thinking, feeling, and decisions and actions. What we most love, we find reasonable, desirable, and doable. Whatever we cherish in our hearts most controls the whole person. No wonder Jesus is so concerned about our hearts. No wonder God ignores outward matters and look supremely at the heart. No wonder the prophet said that the goal of salvation is not mere compliance, but having the law written on the heart through spiritual rebirth. We always, in the end, do what the heart wants the most. So when we're talking about the heart, we're talking about what makes us, us. What makes you, you. The place where you keep your motives hidden from everybody except God. It's that one place where not even your family and closest friends know. This is the one place which is you and God. You know your motives. God knows your motives. And that's what we're talking about. That's where we need to get God's promises to. Because I don't know about you, but I'm glad God doesn't judge my thoughts because they're not always positive. I'm not glad, I'm glad God doesn't judge my actions because sometimes my actions really don't reflect what's deep inside my heart. What I really want to do and what I actually do are often quite different. Thoughts, feelings and actions, they're very superficial. They change on a daily basis. But our relationship with God is not a superficial thing. It is not dependent on how we feel can't be just figured out in our own mind cannot be earned through doing good deeds it's a heart decision God captures your heart God takes control of your heart and you give God your heart all that you are I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts Jeremiah 31 
33. As I said, thoughts, feelings and actions, they ebb and flow depending on how we perceive life to be going. Think of them like branches on a tree. When the wind blows, they move to and fro. I suggest contentment is more like the roots of a tree that give it life, that give it stability, that are strong. They don't move. Because contentment doesn't come from what we know or feel. It comes from deeper than that, from deep in our hearts, from that which makes us who we are. But you know the problem with contentment is that it doesn't come easy. It's not a gift given on a plate. It has to be worked. It takes time. Paul said he had to learn to be content. It takes stirring and it takes shaking. It takes trials and it takes tribulations and walking through those. And it was interesting in, in Burton when we were going through this little series, we all got our own little bits to speak on and I thought, oh no, I'll choose contentment because I'm good at that. Thinking that in my preparation, my two weeks preparation, life would be good and I would arise to the stage full of contentment in a stage of great peace because I'd been learning about it. I'd been learning what contentment was. And you know what? We've just been through probably one of the toughest months of our married life. And that was tough. But I'm learning that that's where contentment comes from. I read something, a lady called Brigitta Davidson. She was in the paper this morning. If you've read your paper, you may have read about her. She said this, talking about her children. By giving them everything, we have made them the poorer, not richer. They didn't have to struggle. And it's struggle that makes you strong. It's struggle that makes you strong. It's struggle, going through struggles. In that you learn contentment and how to be content, how to be truly content. So Philippians 4, 11 to 13, we, we quoted one line, so let's read the rest of it. Paul says this to the church in Philippi. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Because contentment is not about how much or how little we have, how happy we are or how sad we are, how satisfied we are with life, if life is going well or not. We don't become content because we have enough. We can't say God obviously loves me because he's blessing me richly. Because God obviously loves you if you're not in a time of blessing. We can't say, look how, I, look how good I am. I'm happy even though I have nothing. Because that's not the God we love either. It doesn't matter the circumstances. Contentment is not based on our circumstances. Uh, Dave Chapman, I believe Dave came a few weeks ago to, to preach to you. Did a very good talk on prayer. 
you haven't heard it, I'm sure it's on the website. You can download it. Uh, Dave said this. Dave was t- talking about um, uh, faith. Uh, faith or fearfulness. And Dave said this, and this has been um, on our wall ever since he said it. Now, when I talk, talking about peace, sorry, he's talking about peace. And Dave said this. He said, peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. Yes, I think he actually said, not the absence of war, but the presence of God. And that really struck a chord with us. So I guess just copying on from that, I guess we can say contentment is not reliant on little or much, on good or bad, but it's reliant on the presence of God. Paul said, I do all this through him who gives me strength. Contentment comes from him. Through the presence of God, through being in it, through walking with him in those times of trouble. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's God who strengthens us and enables us to be truly content. Because contentment, it's a bit like the ballast in our lives. Stops us from capsizing. Stops us when the seas get really rough from toppling over. Another Tim Keller quote. He says this, If grace has really changed our hearts, we don't ultimately care if life goes the way we want it, as long as we have him. The joys of acclaim, wealth and power are nothing compared to the eternal acclaim, wealth and power we have in him. A weaned child is not just someone who knows this in principle, but who has worked gospel truths into his or her soul as spiritually sensed realities. Internally, this quiets the soul into profound contentment and poise. Externally, it means humility and a willingness to learn from others and also to trust God. The believer realizes that the reason God's actions are often opaque is not because we are wise and he is foolish, but because he is too great and wonderful for us. So are you struggling with life situations right now? Are you questioning God? Does being content stop us from going through troubles? No, we need the troubles to become content. Does being content stop us from asking questions? No. We can still ask questions. It's not wrong to ask questions. Does being content mean we just accept everything as it is? Well, no, because we're called to pray. As a church, as a family, we're called to pray and to overcome. You know, it's not wrong to ask questions, to have a little moan every now and again. And if you've ever read through the Old Testament, it's full of questions and complaints against God. And my favourite one is this. My favourite one is Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah probably wrote this around about two and a half thousand years ago, so a fair while ago. And in Jeremiah 12, he says this. You are always righteous, Lord. Good start, Jeremiah, like that, when I bring a case before you. Yet, I would speak to you about your justice. Now, you're going to challenge God on his justice here. I would probably be sitting down at this point if I was Jeremiah. I'm not sure this is going to go well. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithful, faithless live in ease? You have planted them, 
and they have taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You're always on their lips, but far from their hearts. I wonder if you've ever asked that question, looked at someone and thought, they don't even go to church and let God seems to be blessing them. Or they go to church, but I've seen what they're like outside. I've seen what they're like at work, and, and God's still blessing them. These things. Jeremiah was asking questions of God. And um, just to top off my week as we were uh, preparing this, uh, my, my daily reading took us into Job. Just for a bit of light entertainment, I got to read through Job. And that, again, is a man full of questions. Now, I, I've printed out his whole thing here, but I, I won't go through it all. Because he really does let go. He does let rip. He doesn't hold back. How long will you torment me and crush me with your words? Uh, okay, we'll leave that one. What else does he say? Ten times now you have reproached me. Shamelessly you attack me. If it is true that I've gone astray, my error remains my concern only. You know, he really does go after God. If you read through Job, he asks some searching questions of God. He really does. So asking questions this morning isn't wrong. And just as I was preparing this, I felt that there were some people here this morning who need to almost... Let rip's the wrong word. Let rip is it's not the right way of saying it. But in the, in the Old Testament, they're called laments, aren't they? You've got lamentations. You've got the laments. You've got Jeremiah saying, come on, God, this is what you've said. This is what's happening. Why? What's the difference? There are some people here this morning who need, who have been bottling stuff up. And we are not meant to bottle stuff up. When you start doing that, that is when problems arise. I just get a sense there are some people here this morning who need to lament. Now, you can do that in many different ways. You can talk one-to-one with God. You can just sit down and say, right, God, I need your ear for five minutes. Here's my list of complaints. Get it off your chest. Maybe you can do it with friends. Just talk to them. Maybe you can put it in a song. If you're musical, you can put it in a song. Say, look, God, this is what I'm struggling with right now. I don't understand this. What I'm going through doesn't match up with what I read. All kind of these questions. So if you're feeling guilty this morning, you've been asking questions about God, stop feeling guilty. You're allowed to do it. You're allowed to talk to God. And it doesn't always have to be, ah, isn't life good? Isn't life wonderful? Sometimes we have to be real with God, and that's what he expects with us. Jeremiah did it. Job did it. We can do it. Maybe this morning you need to cry out to God. Say, come on, God, what is going on? Let it all out. And there'll be a chance afterwards to pray and to do that. If you need to come to someone and say, will you pray with me about this? This is what I am struggling with right now. We can do that. But just a word of warning. If you're going to do that, you've got to be willing to accept the answer God gives you. Because God's way out is not always your way out. Our problems right now are with the business. And when I pray, I think, right, this is what I need. God will drop it in my lap. 
And God's answers aren't always our answers. I can see the road ahead. I can see how I get out of this. And it's a nice, easy road. It's where things drop into my lap and I don't have to do anything. God's answer was for Graham to text me and say, Matt, why don't we go out door knocking for new business? And that wasn't on my radar. That wasn't one of the things I thought God was going to do for me, but he did. And we did it. We had a good time, didn't we? We went and we knocked a few doors, and I hate doing that. I always feel like I'm interrupting, I'm invading someone's space, their privacy. I really don't like doing it. But that was God's way out. And we've got two leads that I'm following up right now. Maybe you've got financial problems and you think your way out is a lottery win. Maybe you think, if I just buy a scratch card, God will bless me and I'll win on the scratch card. Can I tell you now, God will not do that. God's way out of your financial difficulties is not a lottery win or a scratch card win. It's getting with somebody, getting with CAP, someone like that, who will talk you through your finances. It's been open, it's been honest about them. It's putting together a thing and it's about praying together and see God work. But it is not always the easy option. It's not always the easy way out. So if you're going to come to God this morning with your complaints, please make sure you're willing to take his answers. Because Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So this morning, as we, I guess we've got another song, have we? We can sing another song. If you know that's you, if you're struggling to find contentment right now, maybe there's some issues you need to go through. Maybe there's something you need to express to God, some feelings. I want to encourage you to pray. If you're going through a tough time right now, if you haven't found contentment yet, maybe there's some tough times to come, and you need to know that. That's okay, because that's how we find this contentment. Remember what that lady said about her two sons. By giving them everything, we have made them poorer, not richer. They didn't have to struggle. And it's struggle that makes you strong. website at www.jubilee.org.uk